Hello, welcome to the Raven and Thistle Pub, visit number 35. Glad you could make it. You know, the pub is not really a sports bar, you know, more of an intimate gathering spot for folks that just want to chat about whatever's on their mind. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't talk sports here. No, quite the contrary. Like, just last week, we had a spirited discussion about the origins of snooker. And the week before that, a couple nearly came to blows recalling Mike Lely's aluminum cricket bat used in the test match against England 79. Geez, come on, guys, give it a rest already. And of course, the perpetual debate about the world's best Scottish dart player, Pete Wright or Gary Anderson. Now, Gary has the smoothest throw, but Pete's orange mohawk haircut? Wow. In any case, this time of year, the sports talk is all centered on the king of winter sports, the roaring game. Of course, I'm talking about curling. With the Winter Olympics about over, you know, all eyes in the pub have been on the ice. So for those of you that may be new to the pub or new to the sport of curling, uh, let me give you a quick summary of the game. Uh, curling is old. It started in Scotland back in the 1500s. You know, they actually have a curling stone in the museum there with a date of 1511 carved in it. Uh, most likely an informal activity of sliding rocks across a frozen Scottish lock, the highlight of any Highlander's winter weekend. As the activity became more popular, developed and refined itself into the awesome sport you see today, curling is now played on a sheet of ice 15 feet wide, 150 feet long. At each end is a 21-foot circle with concentric circles like a bullseye. And basically the point is to get more of your curling stones closer to the center than your opponent. Now traditionally, a curling team is made up of four players. They each throw two stones. Now these stones weigh anywhere from 38 to 44 pounds, and they're made out of special granite, quarried from only two spots in the whole world. Uh, Elisa Craig, an island off the west coast of Scotland, or Treyford Quarry in Wales. Now these stones are very specifically milled to have a slightly concave bottom so that only a very small ring about five inches in diameter and a quarter inch wide actually touches the ice. The ice is special too. Uh, before a curling game, the ice is pebbled or sprayed with a fine mist of water that creates thousands of very tiny bumps of ice on the surface. If you looked at it real close, it looked like the bumpy surface of an orange. Uh, the curler throwing the stone is bounced on one foot, pushing the stone in front of them and sending it down that sheet of ice. Now, just before letting it go, they give it a twist so that the stone slowly rotates. Twist to the stone gives it a little curling or curving to the right or left as it slows down to the end of its journey. Now, the actual technique takes just about an afternoon to learn and a lifetime to master. The other players on the team sweep, and if you've ever seen curling, you can't miss the sweepers. Sliding alongside the stone, sweeping in front of it with a special broom. Now, the sweeping does two th important things. It cleans the ice of any small debris. Even something as small as a grain of sand can drastically alter the speed and direction of the stone, and usually for the worst. More importantly, sweeping will make the stone travel further and straighter. Don't ask me how this works, it just does. Sweeping is not nearly as easy as it sounds. It requires a lot of stamina and balance, as well as skill to judge the movement of the stone. Now, teams alternate until all 16 stones have been thrown, and then someone wins some points. Do this for eight to 10 ends. An end is like an inning in baseball, and you have a game. It takes about two hours. Curling is one of the world's friendliest and most polite sports. Uh, there's no referees. The teams officiate themselves. Uh, each curling game begins and ends with a handshake, and your opponent uh, with the exclamation of, uh, hey, good curling. And you don't cheer if the other guy misses his or her shot. And if you make a great throw, you humbly admit you're just lucky. No gender bias here. I've had my curling ass kicked many a time by more than one great female curler. One of the best curling traditions, uh, one that you probably won't see on the televised version of the Olympics, is the stacking of the brooms. Now, both teams do this and retire to the bar for a pint or two. At many clubs, stacking the brooms may, by mutual agreement, occur right in the middle of a game. Now, that is what I call a great halftime. 
Okay, so now I'm you know, disappointed, of course, that the U.S. curling men's team, the defending gold medal U.S. men's curling team, uh, didn't make the medals this year. Um, but we're throwing our support, of course, here in the pub behind the, the team from Scotland. Um, so hats off to you guys. Uh, good curling, and uh, we hope you do well. Well, I'm ready to stack my broom now and head to the bar. Hey, stick around for some discussion about scotch in general and, of course, an uppity woman's story. Okay, back from the bar with a pour of Lafroig single malt. Now, now we're heading back to, to Isle, uh, that the island off the west coast of Scotland. Uh, it's been said that, that Lafroig is the most medicinal of all malts. Love it or hate it was one of their uh, advertising slogans back in the day. Um, uh, uh, antiseptic, phenolic, uh, iodine-like, seaweed. Uh, it's got a taste that's extremely unique and all its own. Um, the uh, now the Freud has a, has its own peat beds on Isle, uh, its own dam on the River Kilbride. Uh, they do its own floor maltings right there at the distillery, and they have relatively small stills. Uh, the warehouses that they they age their their whiskey in uh, face directly to the sea. Now this place was built back in the 1820s by the Johnston family, who still his name is on the label. Um, the, uh, in 1847, the founder died after falling into a vat of partially made whiskey. Um, yeah, I wonder how that was going. You know, in the late 1500s, or late 1950s, I guess, um, in the early to the 60s, uh, the distillery was owned by a woman, uh, Bessie Williamson, uh, an uppity woman, I imagine, uh, a glamorous lady, judging from the photos on the wall. Now, this place uh, is... is uh, uh, occasionally uh, the site of a wedding uh, distillery, uh, and it serves as a village hall uh, for the small town there. So uh, this is an awesome whiskey. Um, again, you love it or hate it. Uh, it's got a really full gold color. Um, you put it up to your nose and you do, you get that seaweedy, uh, uh, medicinal, like a phenol kind of a, of a sense of, uh, in your mouth, that oily, salty, um, seaweedy uh, f uh, flavor. Um, it's got a really dry kind of finish and long lasting. So, um, you know, if you're in for, if you're in for something a little different, uh, and, and you're looking for something that you probably, uh, won't, uh, care to have a whole bottle of, try some Laphroaig, uh, 10 year old, easy to find, not expensive, uh, and definitely uh, a whiskey, you know, in a class by itself. So, Hey, I'm going to finish this Laphroaig real quick here and come back to you with a, an uppity woman story. Sit tight. You know, where there's a shrine, there's a gold mine. And Elizabeth Quinton believed this. She was a French woman who was uh, quite successful at retailing roadside religious artifacts uh, and paralleled the most popular pastime of the Middle Ages, going on religious pilgrimages. Now, Europe is covered with shrines connected via the major pilgrimage routes, which the Catholic faithful followed. Any excuse sufficed for a circuit, uh, an exercise in faith, adventure, even penance for felony crimes. Now, there being no bumper stickers, t-shirts, or Kodak moments yet, pilgrims bought badges of the shrines that they'd visited to prove to neighbors, priests, pearl officers, and other doubting Thomases back home that they'd been there. Each shrine boasted a distinctive badge. Uh, the famed St. James of Compostela, Spain, for instance, used a scallop shell as a symbol. 
Now, not just any freelance grifter could sell the emblems uh, that the pilgrim sewed onto their clothes. As a holder of the coveted badge concession at, at the Le Pew Cathedral, Liz gleefully found that Faith did move mountains, mountains of badges at least, enough to make her a very wealthy woman. Well, congrats, Elizabeth, for uh, uh, solving the supply chain problem back in the 1500s. Uh, hats off to you. Well, hey, thanks, guys, for uh, hanging around the pub today for a few minutes. Um, hope we'll see you again sometime. Sláinte.